Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by Eric Peratt. Evening, fellas. Happy to be here. And Jake Wall. What's going on, guys? We're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get them forward, and have a laugh at the Swearing of Podcast Presents Service Headline News. Eric, welcome back. Thank you, man. That was a trip to Florida. Awesome. Long eight days away. Had a great time. Weather was beautiful. Not a raindrop. Sunset. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? So we were in uh, Tampa, but uh, we hit Clearwater Beach for an evening. Oh, man, it was beautiful. And then uh, we did some kayaking up the river at Wikiwachi. Have you ever heard of that? No. Where they have a uh, show of mermaids. Really? Yeah. And there's a it's a crystal river kind of thing. It's clear. It's beautiful. Kayak down that thing. Uh, we did some boating out in the bay. Yeah, had a freaking great time, man. I did some kayaking out there um, while that uh, bioluminescent algae was in season. Oh yeah, yeah, that was oh, yeah. cool. That was At cool. night. It's beautiful. Now I'll tell you yeah. guys, uh, the red tide was. Yeah, that was that was on the uh, Atlantic side, wasn't it? Well, they had some in the bay too, but where oh, uh, really? I was up at Clearwater, it was it was beautiful. That shit stings, right? Doesn't that isn't that sting you? Yeah, it doesn't sting you. It, it's a it's an algae that yeah. kills the fish, and it'll hurt your eyes. Oh, okay. You inhale it, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's does nasty. It, does it sting your eyes? Kind of burns <laughs> your eyes. Yes. <laughs> okay, then I rest my case. Scratch your eyes, sting them. <laughs> Is this code for something? It's not. I'm just saying it. it doesn't it sting you? It, it's not venomous. <laughs> no, well, no, I mean, it's not actively reaching out to you, but I mean, it's, it's stingy. It's stingy. Red and stingy. Yeah. Any, like, you have to apply any kind of moisturizer to your eyes after being exposed to this. Well, lucky for me, I didn't get that close. I stayed distanced. So, yeah. Good trip. Um, well, good. It's good to have I'm you back. Just, the trips I'm taking are just to get me into that mode of retirement. See? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to retire out there? No. Um, no. Was that a question? <laughs> I think it was. No. We yeah, might. It was. I, I was like, well, I mean, you're saying, I, I I don't know. It just flashed in my head. It was like, I'm taking trips out to Florida just to get me in retirement mode. So I was like, are you retiring out to Florida? Well, it oh. wasn't just Florida. Remember the Maui trip? Florida. Now I'm going to go to Greece in May. Oh, nice. Are you retiring to Greece? <laughs> no, I'm traveling to Greece. I'm going to ask you every place you go now. Okay. Ask you that. And then Greece. I'm going to Amsterdam on a cruise. Goddamn Amsterdam. Right? Down yeah. the Rhine River. That's See, that's retired. what you get. That's what you get when you manage your money. Yeah. That's well, why I've I gone nowhere. <laughs> I've got a Frank town. <laughs> so only for an hour. And I'm back. Yeah. I trip. I don't uh-huh. even feel up there because it's a rural gas station. <laughs> I'm I'm going to eventually have to do a reporting from location with you guys. That's what I have to do. Yeah, we could have done yeah, remote, man. You could have sat yeah. in on it. Yeah. 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 I have to do that. You no, know they have Wi-Fi there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. 
right. All right, Eric, start us off. What do we got for this day in history? All right, fellas. We pulled this one out at a time where I was actually alive. March 29th, <laughs> 1973. Oh, that was way later than I thought. Really? You're 44. <laughs> right? You're 44, Jake? Yep. Yep. I think so. That was an old man joke. <laughs> yeah. That was... The old man didn't get. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this occurred 50 years ago, 1973, March 29th. Any guesses what that would be? And don't be a smart ass party. <laughs> Uh, uh no, why don't you tell us? Okay, cool. <laughs> let me let me see if I can help you here. Uh it's all over. That was the last drawdown and pull out of South Vietnam. By the time the US called home its last troops from South Vietnam on March 29th, 1973. The story talks about a specific veteran named Don Ballard who is working as a police officer and attending college currently. Ballard's role in the Vietnam War as a Navy corpsman who treated hundreds of casualties during the 1968 Tet Offensive had concluded when he left active service. The final troop withdrawal 50 years ago Wednesday marked the end of a long and political contentious war that had left 58,000 U.S. service members dead and another 304,000 wounded. Uh, that was pretty big for the U.S. to to see it in bright color on TV then, you know? Yeah. 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 But like many of the other roughly 2.7 million troops who were sent to Vietnam starting in 64, Ballard's return to civilian life did not end the war for him, just as the spring withdrawal did not conclude the war's impact on American society. Mr. Ballard was wounded eight times, received three Purple Hearts, Ballard said in a phone interview Thursday from his home near Kansas City, Missouri, he killed six people. Three of them was with his knife. And you expect me to come home and be the same Johnny from the filling station. So well, I think the term PTSD started coming to light. Yet every war, along with its milestones and turning points, has its ending. March 29th brought some sense of relief to the growing number of Americans who opposed America's military involvement in what was essentially a civil war between South and North Vietnam. I was 10 when this occurred, and I remember watching the drawdown as well as some of the prisoners being flown back on 141s. Uh, Guys, I found a little bit more on Ballard, too. Um, he was interested in become, going into the medical field, so he chose to become a corpsman. He was assigned to a Marine Corps unit in Vietnam, a tour that coincided, my apologies, coincided with North, Vietnam, North Vietnam's Tet Offensive in early 1968 and some of the fiercest battles of the war. On May 16, 1968, his Marine company was ambushed in Quang Tre province by an enemy wielding machine guns and mortars. Ballard moved through heavy fire to treat the wounded and at one point throwing himself atop an enemy grenade that landed among the Marines. The grenade failed to immediately detonate and Ballard tossed it back toward the enemy where it exploded. <laughs> For his actions that day, Ballard was awarded the Medal of Honor, the highest award for military valor in action. 
In the midst of his combat tour, Ballard did not see nor care about the big picture of the war, he said. As a corpsman, and I am not speaking for all corpsmen, but as a corpsman, my job was to save Marines' lives and get them home to their loved ones in the best medical and emotional condition that they could be in. That's one of those career fields, those Navy career fields, that I think is um, incredibly underrated. For sure. Those, Those guys are assigned to you know, a whole huge detachment of Marines. They're just assigned to special forces. They're assigned to a normal, a normal ship. They're assigned to everywhere. And they get either the cushiest job ever treating VDs on a ship or, you yeah, know, shits. Yeah. they're in the craziest stuff ever. Yep. This guy was pretty amazing. He's, he's currently still alive and he is currently dealing with PTSD. Um, yeah. So a lot of it's still with him, man, even though after the withdrawal of 50 years ago. So it didn't end for him. And I'm sure many more are in the same boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the stuff they had to deal with? <laughs> so yeah. that, gentlemen, was March 29th, 1973. That was a good day. Yeah. Good day. Now I'm trying to figure out. Because I always thought <clears throat> when that uh, picture of those guys getting pulled, you know, off the top of the roof, getting airlifted out, With I thought that was 1975. I always had at the end of the war it was 1975. What they're saying is 1973. Yeah. Uh, that we pulled troops out. Well, who, who the hell was there for the next couple of years? Wasn't it an embassy, though? Wasn't I thought that do that? I thought that was our embassy. Is that what it was? I well, we still do that, right? Like, oh, other than Afghanistan, we were like, okay, the war is officially over, but we're still gonna have a huge base here, you know, (laughs) a huge footprint. Yeah, so Vietnam War ended in 75 with the fall of Saigon, and that was the embassy. That they were pulling okay. people off the roof. All right. So as soon as we pulled every, all our troops out, then it was just yeah. a matter of time for South Vietnamese to or South Vietnam to fall. Right. Uh, but Vietnam, I mean, my God, fifty-eight thousand people, and and most of them were draftees. Yeah. You know that was a draft that draftee thing is crazy. Yeah, but, and you, you question know, why. What, well, did we, what did we accomplish? Well, that's true with Vietnam. But as yeah. far as the drafty thing, what if China kicks off? What if we go to war over Hong Kong? Do we have enough people? Do you think they'd oh. introduce a, a draft in this day and age? I think they'd have to. They'd have to. They'd I agree. Have to. Right. Because aren't there some reports out there that we can't fight a two-front war right now? We Absolutely. Don't have the people. We oh. don't have the equipment. But. 1973, March 29th. I never knew that date, so I do. (laughs) I mean, I always thought it was over in 75, but I didn't realize we pulled troops out in 73. I'm glad I could help. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm coming. (laughs) All right, we got all Army stories here, right? Quick ones. There's some interesting ones for tonight, Marty. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, remember, remember uh, a, a few weeks ago we did that story about the army returning to the uh, 
be all you can be commercial? Yeah. Well, uh, the Army has, from taskandpurpose.com, there's a headline that says the Army has now pulled the be all you can be commercials after Jonathan Majors arrest. And Jonathan Majors was, uh, I think it was a voiceover and two of their big commercials, the one that we watched. So I went back and tried to pull that commercial up. It's no longer available. I was like, damn, they were quick. Holy <laughs> They really did pull those up. So you know who uh, Jonathan, was, right? Uh Jonathan Majors, uh, you may or may not know. He's been in several movies. He was in Creed 3, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and he was also in Devotion. Yeah. Right. But unfortunately, he was arrested Saturday for assault in a domestic dispute. Uh the two ads. Overcoming Obstacles and Pushing Tomorrow were the centerpiece of the Army's revived Be All You Can Be campaign and feature Jonathan Majors as an on-screen narrator discussing the history of the Army. Uh, Majors, who's 33, was arrested on March 25th. The victim is a 30-year-old woman, had minor injuries to her head and neck. According to New York Police Department, Majors was arrested on charges of assault, harassment, and strangulation. You don't see that one very often. Uh, per the per the NYPD, the classic, yeah, strangulation. <laughs> man. Yeah, I'm glad that's making a comeback. How um, is it that in devotion, he's a black man dealing with all kinds of racism, yeah. and was able to turn the cheek constantly? Right. That that's ironic to me. Well, apparently that's good acting. Yeah, right. Because apparently <laughs> he was turning her cheek. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, then man. there's also there's also uh I've also heard some other stuff that uh I think she recanted some of her, her accusations now, so I don't know. Uh, uh he doesn't I guess uh from those who know him, he doesn't seem the type and this might be a frivolous lawsuit to try to hurt him. However, the army pulled the commercials, so they're gonna re- they're still gonna go forward, uh, but they just can't have him as a narrator on these things. Huh. So you would think the army would promote, like, accept that. I mean, statistically speaking, DUIs and domestic violence are really popular in the army. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not saying it right or wrong. I'm not judging. And for saying, some, that's all they could be. Statistically, that's, that's all they could be. <laughs> but I do think it's funny. Uh, because remember when we talked about that commercial and I mentioned that I had heard the rumor that that guy goes, hey, First Sergeant, good morning. That guy got kicked out of the Army for drugs. So maybe <laughs> no. this is just a bad legacy advertisement <laughs> that whoever's involved with well. is going Like down. the Madden cover. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, like the, it's like Madden. Yeah, you're going to have a yeah. bad season. Yep. If you're in a be-all-you-can-be commercial, you're probably going to get kicked out. So. <laughs> Back disconduct. <laughs> All right. So next story uh, is an update to a story I'd completely forgotten about. But it's from the militarytimes.com. The U.S. could carry out its first military execution in over 60 years. So remember the Fort Hood shooter? Yeah. The doctor, the major, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was a psychologist, I think. Um, 2009, November 5th, 2009, 
uh, Army Major Nadal Hassan. Uh, he entered a readiness processing center at the Texas, uh, at Fort Hood, Texas, and opened fire. He killed 13, including a pregnant soldier, and wounded 32. Hassan admitted to the shootings at his court martial in 2013 and was sentenced to death. But I guess he's going through now appeal stuff, or his lawyers are going through appeal stuff. That's why it's, you know, two, 2013 he's sentenced, and 10 years yeah. later they're still like doing appeals. So, uh, Tuesday, I guess uh, yesterday. I don't. I, I tried to find out what the result of it was, but yesterday Hassan, who's now fifty-two, was set to stand trial before the Court of Appeals uh, for the Armed Forces on Tuesday. On yesterday, for what is largely considered the deadliest mass shooting ever on a United States military installation, the hearing yesterday marks the next stage of the case in the drawn-out military appeals process. Ten years, but there's there's worse there's worse appeals than that. Oh yeah, guys have been on death row for a lot longer. Yeah, time. speaking of that, uh, so but regardless of of yesterday's outcome, it remains unclear if and when a decision on execution could be made. If Hassan is put to death, it would be the first military execution since 1961 when ex-soldier John Bennett was hanged. After being convicted for raping and attempting to kill a young girl, he was hanged in 1961. Uh, that's, that's a formal crazy. way of death. Holy shit! I thought the military's formal way of death was still a firing squad. That, that would seem to be the most efficient, right? Yeah. Um, Hassan is one of four former service members currently on military death row at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The others are. Ronald Gray, Hassan Akbar, and Timothy Hennis. Do you want to know what those other three guys did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ronald Gray. In 1988, a military court at Fort Bragg convicted Ronald Gray of the rape and murder of two women and rape and attempted murder of a third at Fort Bragg in the nearby area. At the time, he was a specialist working as a cook. He was sentenced to death in 1988. 1988. Jeez. I know. Uh, Okay, next guy, Hassan Akbar. He was sentenced to death for killing two fellow soldiers and injuring 14 others in an an attack in Kuwait. Prosecutors say he threw four hand grenades into tents as members of his division slept then fired his rifle at soldiers in the ensuing chaos on March 23rd, 2003. Man, I never heard of that. That's <laughs> oh no, man. God, you'd have thought I'd have heard that. He just walked in and chucked a couple grenades in there and then started shooting. I didn't think it, they'd give live ammo out unless you were about ready to go. But I... anyway, he's 2003, he was sentenced to death. <clears throat> um, the last guy, Timothy Hennis. He was, I I really should have researched more on this story, but listen to this. Timothy Hennis, who was pulled from retirement to stand trial, was convicted in April 2010. 2010, he was convicted of killing Catherine Eastburn and her young daughters in their Fayetteville home in 1985. Wow. So he was linked because of DNA, huh? I know. I guess. I, I. That's why I said I should have found out more. But he apparently went through a career, retired, 
And then they're like, hey, buddy. <laughs> we, we got you now. 25 years ago. Uh, and so they convicted him. Uh, Catherine Eastburn, who was the wife of an Air Force officer who was away at training, and her two daughters who were five and three at the time. And this guy came in and killed him. Jeez. So uh, those, are, those are the four who are on death row. I, I'm I thinking, based on recent events, such as Tennessee, I think you're uh, going to see a much more active death row with uh, final executions occurring more frequently. I don't know. I mean, the appeals process is so long. I mean, yeah, I think they're going to change that, though. You think so? Yeah, I and it's I, I I can't believe that it'll be a deterrent, but some people would argue that point that a timely execution will deter some of these. I've heard that in conversations. Well, they ain't going to use this Nashville case to to generate that because they're already blaming everybody but the shooter for Nashville. Yeah, you know so. Um, man, at eight, what are the three of the kids are eight years old? And I was like, good, yeah, nine, three nine year olds. Oh, god, those three and the three teachers, so the principal and two others, a janitor. One was a janitor. Oh, it was, oh, yeah, a janitor, a principal, and one teacher. God bless. And she had plants, right? She had all these detailed things. and Oh, yeah. She started shooting at the cops as they were coming in. She had multiple weapons. So, I don't well, know. I, I, that would be great. Weapons, whatever yeah. we're going to call that person. Yeah. She, she, how, about, that was- how about the the murderer? Yeah. Uh, how about that? Uh, okay. So, on to something more upbeat. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> From military.com. The Army finds mold in 2,100 buildings following service-wide inspection. <laughs> now, I wonder That's if they're really, like... <laughs> here's the thing. A service... Do you believe that number? Service-wide, there's only 2,100 buildings? Nope. That mold That's in a them. Point. That's a good point. I mean, hell, they found mold in my crawl space. The home inspector is like, good... And mitigate that. Get that shit out of here before I buy your house. And they did. Marty, we did when we first started doing service headline news. We did some Fort Bragg. Yeah, Fort Bragg. So I guarantee right. there's more than twenty one hundred buildings. Well, wow. yeah. The army found that twenty one hundred of its facilities had mold issues after a unique service wide <laughs> inspection of all of its active duty barracks and office buildings between November and January. Service officials inspected nearly seventy thousand facilities. Now, let's 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 take how the military works, right? Mm-hmm. They'll send down the like, hey, Buckley Air Force Base, go inspect all your buildings for mold, and then the commander goes, okay, hey, uh, squadrons, go inspect your buildings for mold, and the squadrons will go, hey, extra duty guy, go inspect your building for mold, and he comes back and he's like, I didn't find any. <laughs> like, I guess we're clear. <laughs> so are you telling me tell me like rules of engagement where you can know you can't move more than 15 feet from the front door <laughs> and then did you catch those timelines yeah november winter. to january november to january 
guaranteed every single place in the South yeah. in in June through September has mold somewhere. No, oh, for sure. Right. And it's all wood barracks down there. Yeah. Yeah, between November and January, service officials inspected nearly 70,000 facilities. Sure they did. Including barracks, childcare facilities, and Army-owned housing. The majority of buildings found to have mold issues were located in humid climates such as Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Fort Stewart, Georgia, and Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. Inspections yep. were ordered in a directive from Army Secretary Christine Warmuth. In October, after the mold pro- mold problems became public, and that's the aggravating thing here, they weren't going to do anything. But then, when the whole Fort Bragg story got out, yeah. again, yeah. <laughs> then they're all like, "Hey, let's start, you know, let's start asking the government questions about this." And they're like, "Oh, oh, oh, we're going to start an inspection here." <laughs> but yeah. it's it's clearly says that they they were going to do anything, but the story became public, and so they they went and did these inspections, right? And- and so then also, like, there's whistleblower protection and stuff like that. You know dang well whoever brought up that mold issue was verbally abused at the least. I'm <laughs> sure. Oh, the absolutely. Money, the money that it cost? Oh, my oh. God. Yeah. He's probably put on, you know, he's, hey, let's go put this guy on extra duty for a while. Don't worry yeah. about coming back to the unit. We'll reach out to you when we need you. Or they sent him to find all the mold. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're well, the you guy now. <laughs> all right, Mr. Well, Eagle Eyes, go find all the mold. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Whistleblower. <laughs> uh, last year at Fort Bragg, roughly 1,100 soldiers had to be relocated to new living quarters due to spiraling mold issues in the damp climate. 12 barracks of Fort Bragg were set to be demolished this year. Five years ahead of schedule, an additional five are set to be remodeled. Mm. Um, For the first time, the new Army inspection data shows the scope of the problem, which until now has been exposed largely by anecdotes reported by the media. So people went to the media, and, you know, there's probably going to be people making claims to the VA, too. Got to be. Absolutely. And that's probably what got the headlines, right? But at the heart of the matter of funding and a lack of notable support on Capitol Hill to boost living standards for soldiers. The Army is seeking a massive cash boost of $288 million in funds to construct new barracks far above the $49 million in the current year's budget. <clears throat> a report last year from the Congressional Budget Office found that to fix up just two installations, just two, with the greatest need for new barracks, which are Schofield Barracks and Fort Bragg, that would cost $11.2 billion. Good Lord. Hell, billion? God dang, man. Yeah, but that's through Army acquisitions process, right? You know, bidding out to these guys and, and getting ripped off. <laughs> Dude, I see him on HGTV do a review. I, I was I'm glad you brought that up. Forty thousand dollars, and I've got a brand new banking house, and all I'm new sure you can find twenty guys in there. And they're like, hey, give me a Home Depot card, right? I'll have this thing up to code in a month. <laughs> wow. Holy shit, man! So, um, it's not really not a surprise. You know, you got bad water. Where was the water at? Right? Where was the bad water at? 
that was June. Uh, Camp Lejeune, right? Camp Lejeune, yeah. And you got oil and or oil and gas in the water out of at at uh, Schofield. Right. Yep. Uh, Fort Bragg has mold. <laughs> we, we had that. Uh, we had that. Was it that issue with can- some kind of cancer causing non toxic print quotations non toxic? Yeah, fire retardant. Um, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and all the asbestos or all the you know all that stuff that's going on still. You combine that with your anthrax shots, and. <laughs> Be all you can be. Come on in. Right. Yep. So sorry, Army. Sorry to bash you with three stories in a row, but you know, hey, they're out there. All right. Wait, wait. I, I, we can't go forward without mentioning that fourth story on the ribbon. Oh, <laughs> please, please mention that story. Well, the, uh, okay. Oh, my God. So, one last story for the Army to bring greater glory to you. The uh, the army has a program where it's like find a friend. I think it's like a refer a friend or something like that. <laughs> so if that person actually comes in, that that whoever has referred him, and that person comes in and goes to basic, they were very specific, and that person has to go to basic training. Um, then the person who referred them gets a new ribbon. But the guy's got to go through basic. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't remember if he said he had to complete basic, or if he just has to go to basic. Yeah, it just says attends so, basic combat training. I was trying to find out. Well, how many points is that ribbon worth? <laughs> oh yeah, points for promotion. Huh? I hey, cannot baby. believe right. that we've created a ribbon for referring a friend. I, it's uh, you know, it's all that trying to force heraldry and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the Air Force is the worst at that. No, no. It's because we're so, we need recruits. Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. It's once again, is a retention slash recruiting tool. Yeah. yeah. Well, congrats or uh, my approval to the Marine Corps for keeping their ribbons and decorations meaning something. You know what I mean? Those guys wear very few. And they are are because something occurred that they accomplished. So hats off to those guys. I thought you were going to say they wear very few because they are the proud. They are the U.S. Marines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could have finished that, that out very grandiosely, but you didn't. That was quick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, continuing on in our all-military selection. Today, we are going to select the all-military dog. Yeah. (laughs) Now, there have been a lot of animals, as Jake pointed out, but the most prevalent are dogs. Next week, we're going to do the all-military non-dog. So look forward to (laughs) that. The non-dog. Right? But today, we're going to pick the best dog. Right, so uh, I always go first because I always lose, (laughs) but I might not lose with my choice. My choice today is Sergeant Stubby from World War One. Right, (gasps) Sergeant Stubby. Well, he just came in as Stubby, 
right? He later got promoted to sergeant, and you'll see why. Stubby served with the 102nd Infantry Regiment in France for 18 months and participated in four offensives and 17 battles. Keep that in mind when you guys are putting your dogs up against Stubby, right? Four (laughs) offensives and 17 battles. He entered combat uh, February 5th, 1918, and was under constant fire day and night for over a month. In April 1918, during a raid, Stubby was wounded in the foreleg by retreating Germans throwing hand grenades. So he first gets hit by shrapnel, 1918. He was sent to the rear for convalescent, and as he had done on the front, improved morale. When he recovered from his wounds, Stubby returned to the trenches. In his first year of battle, Stubby was injured by mustard gas. So he gets shrapnel and he gets gassed. (laughs) After he recovered, he returned with a specially designed gas mask to protect him. Now that's That's awesome. Uh, He, uh, but because of that, Stubby learned to warn his unit of mustard gas attacks because he could smell it. Right. He also located wounded soldiers in no man's land and Since he could hear the whine of incoming artillery shells before humans, he became very adept at alerting his unit when to duck for cover. That's cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. That's pretty great. He was solely responsible for capturing a German spy in the Argonne, leading to their unit's unit's commander nominating Stubby for the rank of sergeant. Following the retaking of Chateau Thierry by the U.S., Women of the town made stubby, stubby a coat upon which his many medals were pinned. He was later injured again in the chest and leg by another grenade. He ultimately had two wound stripes. I guess that's Purple Heart before Purple Hearts? Yeah. So, yes. Uh, despite being caught in multiple gas attacks and taking shrapnel on multiple occasions, Sergeant Stubby survived the war. The Supreme Commander of American Forces in World War I, General John Pershing, personally awarded him a gold medal in 1921. Sergeant Stubby is the most decorated war dog of World War I. He might be the only war dog. (laughs) It was after that point in time they stopped actually giving dogs decoration. And rank. Yeah. 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 Well, There's been many dogs after that point nominated for medals. Um, yeah, that's they, right. I think I heard that, but I, they don't actually award them anymore. They don't actually award them. Yeah. Um, on horses too. I think they yep. said yeah. horses too. Uh, earning numerous medals and becoming the mascot of Georgetown University. Hmm. I thought cool. that would study. Yeah. He's Sergeant Stubby is the mascot for Georgetown. Uh, he met mm-hmm. presidents Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, and Warren G. Harding. Uh, and was awarded lifetime memberships to the American Legion and the YMCA. YMCA sounds weird, but he got a lifetime membership to it. So that was Sergeant Stubby. Go ahead and try to beat that, gentlemen. Yeah, three presidents, though. Stubby was a pretty good choice. Four offenses and 17 battles. Wounded twice by a grenade, mustard gas, not a German. Pretty badass. Hmm. Yep. 
Go ahead, Jake. We're uh, saving the best. Oh, right here now. we go. Oh, here we go. <laughs> All right. Okay, from now on, whoever wins goes last. How about that? And you did win last time. You did win last time, I think, uh, Eric. I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I nominate Cairo, which is a current dog. So Stubby is I, I got a thing in my heart for mutts, and yeah. I do love a good mutt, and that was Stubby. And then yeah, that's true. And and he's just like all around small little potentially boston terrier mix so not big dog rugged but definitely but definitely a tough little guy yeah right i nominate cairo which cairo is a military working dog uh belgian malinois these dogs and and he is a working dog trained and deployed on multiple occasions with He's a Navy SEAL dog, right? So he is trained for sniffing out enemy personnel, sniffing out um, enemy munitions, IEDs, that kind of thing. He's an attack dog. He's been trained to jump out of airplanes. Like he's dive. Holy shit. Skydive certified. Yeah. Really? Yeah. First of all, I want to know how they get these dogs that are potentially aggressive. Yeah. And they basically put them in a hammock on their chest and <laughs> jump out of the plane. Just push that son of a bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, you're, you're strapped to your handler or they're strapped to their handler and they're jumping. Yep. Like that, that incentive of a tennis ball has to be incredibly high. <laughs> yeah, what's to keep right. him from just biting his face off on the way just down, right? Chewing the living crap out of all the equipment and arms and any, <laughs> right. anything close to them. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. love the fact that they jump off planes with dogs that are trained to kill. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, so back to the thing, they, they are 100% trained to kill anybody that's not their people right yeah yeah. they'll they'll keep the handler will keep them in front and let them go and then they'll just chew on anything in front of them but but cairo was different like they let this dog go into a house and in any time in afghanistan a lot of people would hide their babies and hide their uh, their kids thinking that the military would get rid of them or take them away or something like that. Well, Cairo entered a house, was given the order to maim and or kill. He goes to the pile of laundry. There's a baby in it, addresses it or assesses it as not a risk. Wow. Proceeds to the next room and then attacks a insurgent so badly that he fractured and almost chewed the guy's arm off Jesus. yeah and in the, in the time like it's not just like delayed they're not just loitering outside while this dog is chewing on this insurgent they're still addressing the they're entering the house clearing the house all that stuff this dog was also on the bin laden raid no this dog was really? jumped was yeah it was on the helicopter that did not crash it oh, secured yeah. the perimeter and then cleared the house, helped clear the house. Um, they 
And then they went down and Cairo held off because the helicopter crashed. It, it attracted a lot of people. Cairo held off any of the bystanders and then came back oh. and got into the helicopter. Nice. He was also on another raid where he jumped over a fence, got some guys in the tree line. His handler couldn't get to him in time. And Cairo was actually shot during this through the oh, test. Yeah. Um, then he came back. He had to walk around the fence. He was, he jumped over previously. His, his handler got him. They medevaced him. There's a story in the, uh, in the New York post about them basically stuffing yards and yards of gauze in this dog's chest, to try to st stop the bleeding. Yeah. Wow. They medevaced this dog, took him back to the place. The medical surgeons, like the, the military doctors, not vets, doctors worked on this dog and actually saved him. Oh, wow. Um, and he, and that was just, all that was just with one handler. Wow. So Cairo went to work with multiple or two other handlers. And at the time he was going to be retired, his original handler, original handler came back and was like, Nope, I want this dog. Nice. This is, this is my dog. And, and ended up getting him, um, getting him back and ending up retired, retiring him. Yeah. Other wow. cool thing that um, there's actually a picture in the New York Post of Cairo riding in the sidecar of a motorcycle with his handler. So nice. this dog is, is hardcore, definitely trained, and then untrained to kill, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah. been lots of great. It didn't break down the specific battles i don't know the number of battles that the dog yeah. had been through um but bin laden raid multiple other insurgent situations navy seal jump certified that kind of thing that's pretty cool uh, definitely a noteworthy consideration is that uh is that unusual for a dog to have multiple handlers don't they just have like one handler usually and then i don't know do they do they Move in the Air Force, the they can go to other handlers. Oh, they can. Okay. Yeah, they can train with them because the commands and stuff that they use are all the same. Yeah. They just have to get used to a new handler. Okay. Okay. All right. Damn, that's pretty cool. The guy wrote yeah. a book on him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Will Will Chesney was the uh, was the Navy SEAL that was his original handler, wow. and he wrote a book about this dog. Well, that's gentlemen. Nice. Both dogs you chose were good candidates, but I'm not sure they're going to meet the capabilities of my four pound, four pounds, which stood seven inches tall. Yeah. Famous war dog of World War II named Smokey. Smokey. Smokey was found by an American soldier in an abandoned foxhole in the New Guinea jungle. Oh. At the time, she was a young adult Yorkie, fully grown, and the soldiers initially thought the small dog belonged to the Japanese, but after taking her to a nearby prisoner of war camp, 
They realized she did not understand commands in English or Japanese. So a GI sold Smokey to Corporal William A. Whiny of Cleveland, Ohio, for two Australian pounds, which is about six bucks. For the next two years, Smokey backpacked through the rest of the war and accompanied Winnie on combat flights in the Pacific. She faced adverse circumstances living in the New Guinea jungle and Rock Islands, suffering the primitive conditions of tents in equator heat and humidity. Throughout her service, Smokey slept with Winnie in his tent on a blanket made from a green felt card table cover. She shared Winnie's sea rations and an occasional can of Spam. Unlike the official war dogs of World War II, Smokey had access to neither veterinary, good Lord, medical medicine, nor a balanced diet formulated especially for dogs. Despite this, Smokey was never ill. She ran on coral for four months without developing any of the paw ailments that plagued some war dogs. Smokey served in the South Pacific with the 5th Air Force, 26th Photo Reconnaissance Squadron, and flew 12 Air Sea Rescue and Photo Reconnaissance missions. On those flights, Smokey spent long hours dangling in a soldier's pack near machine guns used to ward off enemy fighters. Smokey was credited with 12 combat missions and awarded eight battle stars. She survived 150 air raids on New Guinea and made it through a typhoon in Okinawa. Okay, to be fair, that's a very, very small target. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on now. Smokey even parachuted. So I've got that whole parachute thing oh. covered. Smokey even parachuted from 30 feet in the air out of a tree using no. a parachute made just for her. Winnie credited Smokey with saving his life by warning him of incoming shells on an LST transport ship, calling her an angel from a foxhole. As the ship deck was booming and vibrating from anti-aircraft gunnery, Smokey guided Winnie to duck the fire that hit eight men standing next to him. How do they know that? That seems unlikely. All right. Well, I'm going to (laughs) go straight to... Marty's like, I tied a string... Tied to the wire to Smokey's collar and ran to the end of the culvert. This was in regards to what she was able to do. Smokey's tricks enabled her to become a hero in her own right by helping engineers to build an air base in Luzon, a crucial airfield for Allied warplanes. Early in the Luzon campaign, the Signal Corps needed to run a telegraph wire through a 70-foot-long pipe that was only 8 inches in diameter. Soiled had shifted through the corrugated sections of the pipe's joinings, filling as much as half of the pipe, giving Smokey only four inches of headway in some spaces. As Winnie himself told the story when he appeared on NBC TV after World War II, the dog ran through that pipe, pulling the wire, allowing them to have that connection. This is the part that's a big deal. But that that right there, though, is very impressive because can you imagine how much time and effort it would have cost people? Oh, yeah. If they... What I mean, are they going to run line? Yeah, they would have to dig up that pipe and put it back in, and then they'd have to, yeah, potentially run line in er- enemy areas or dangerous areas. That, they, that's yeah, they tied a wire to Smokey's collar and ran to the other end of the culvert. 
It's a little dorky. (laughs) And she made it right through, man. Crawled through the dirt and mold and could no longer see her. Uh, He called and pleaded, not knowing for certain whether she was coming on or not. After last, about 20 feet away, I saw two amber eyes and heard faint whimpering sound. 15 feet away, she broke into a run, and they were able to successfully pull the line through. This is the part where I was going to go that's more important than than being in conflict. When they arrived home from the war, Winnie and Smokey were featured in a page one story with photographs in the Cleveland Press on December 7, 1945. Smokey soon became a national sensationalism, and over the next 10 years, Smokey and Winnie traveled to Hollywood and all all over the world to perform demonstrations of her remarkable skills, which included walking a tightrope blindfold and blah, blah, blah. What I'm getting at, nearly 50 years later on Veterans Day, November 11, 2005, a bronze life sculpture by Susan Bay of Smokey sitting in a GI helmet atop two-ton blue granite base was unveiled there. It placed above the very spot that Smokey was laid uh, at her final resting place. She later became known as Smokey the Yorkie <laughs> Doodle Dandy and was apparently the first service dog. That's where a service dog. Yeah. The first dog to be considered a service dog. Huh. So four pounds, seven inches party. <laughs> What's that? We're gonna need a fourth party, an innocent bystander on this. No, not at all. You uh, Smokey's out. <laughs> Smokey's just a purse dog, just along for the ride for most of the time. No, man, she was four pounds and survived. She never saw a vet. She was in the New Guinea jungle flying mission. Yeah, because she never touched the ground. That's why she never saw a vet. (laughs) She was running around in the heat just like everybody else, man. It's just probably more of a pain in the ass. Like, what? I almost tripped over that fucking dog. Oh, I love the fact that Marty, right off the bat, within the first two minutes, Eric, Marty's like, "Nope, beat my dog down." (laughs) It's just it's it's somebody putting him in a purse, carrying him around a Home Depot, and you're like, "Oh, let's give him a medal." No, what what do you do? But they're giving her, you know, all the the uh, basically keeping people alive being there for the troops uh, and and let's let's go examine that one incident right I, he saved that one guy but eight died why could why couldn't the why couldn't the yorkie go over there and save the eight probably because he was crying wolf all the other times like <laughs> yipping yapping uh, like shut your damn dog up every time let's get over like here away from that dog we don't want to be around you and your yappy dog. Let's all go over here and play cards. Boom! Those guys got hit because of that dog, because they couldn't stand it. Hey, according to Animal Planet Investigations, Smokey was the first recorded therapy dog. Her yeah. service dog began in July 44 at Did- the 2233rd Station Hospital in New Guinea, where she accompanied nurses to see incoming battlefield casualties. Smokey was important, by God. Didn't do How much therapy for those first- eight guys who got hit by the shell. You're a dirty Smokey Bespercher. How dare you? Smokey's out. Smokey's out. I'm devastated. 
to me. That's just my one. That's my one vote. It's because of the first image you see when you Google Smoky World War Two or World War One. It's this fluffy little yeah. yes, helmet. Come on. Now, now here's here. I want I want I want to do a practical exercise. All right. Imagine, <laughs> imagine you as an E5. All right. And you're out, Panama, Grenada, Kuwait, wherever you're on. And you have this one guy who's like, Hey, Sarge, you mind if I bring my little dog? And you look over and he's got him tucked down into his blouse with just the head pointing up. He's like, Hey, do you mind if I just carry this dog around? What would your reaction be? Would it be, That's a fantastic idea. Or would it be like, Get rid of that goddamn dog and get back on the fence line? No, that's what your reaction be. It would have been, That's awesome. Oh, really? Really, <laughs> Sergeant Parrot. Sergeant Parrot would have been like, "Oh, I think it's a great idea." Can you Maybe. imagine one of your boys driving patrol in a in a government vehicle with right. that dog on his right. lap? Not the point. We're talking about the ability to survive. Sarge, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get the dog. We gotta go now. Oh, hold on, wait for Smokey. Wait for Smokey. Who's got his dish? Survival is nothing. Cockroaches survive everything. No plan. <laughs> and the fact that didn't get rations is because it was two ounces. Hey, so, like hey Sarge, I made, I made a little parachute for him. Can I take him? For game weight licking spam. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was Smokey was an underdog, man. <laughs> underdog. An underdog. Oh, my God. Uh, that dog wasn't supposed to survive anything, and look what it did. It became that. the first service dog. Marty, it's bilingual. Bilingual. <laughs> oh, yeah. Doesn't understand commands in any language. What <laughs> <laughs> language didn't know? That's the thing. It's in Japanese territory, but it doesn't understand Japanese. Yeah. It doesn't understand English. You know why he was in Japanese territory? Because he was probably a Japanese dog. And and they were like, get that damn dog out of here. Go give it to the Americans. Smokey was never ill. Your dogs <laughs> saw that. My dog and got we, my dog got shrapnel twice. He captured a German. Dogs. They didn't know how to duck. Oh. 150 air raids never even touched Smokey. Yeah. We've already established that it was freaking 14 ounces at best. <laughs> a rotisserie chicken is fatter than that. Thing. Okay. I concede. <laughs> <laughs> We've got better odds of blowing some rotisserie chicken up at Safeway than in the dog. Come on, man. The picture of Smokey in the helmet's pretty damn cool. Don't you think? Yeah, it's it's good. adorable. There you I'm go. not going to publicly acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. I don't really care who wins this as long as it's not Smokey. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, Smokey. Jeez. <laughs> 
I, I tried initially, Eric. I tried to give you a fighting chance. You did. I heard it. I heard you. I heard you. And I was like, person. there's no way. There's and and no then Marty's way. like, no. I appreciate it. No. No way. There's no dang way I'm giving a purse dog a freaking best <laughs> of the military. There sounds like there was a bias right from the get-go. A bias. I, was, I was waiting to hear how many lives he saved. I was waiting to see, you know, how many, how many aggressors he took down he saved a lot of men's lives by being a loving thing to think get a, get their mind off the war yeah so are girls in the red light district <laughs> <laughs> we're not pinning medals on them okay. Okay. we're gonna give the top three hookers of world war ii <laughs> that's next on the all military selection <laughs> He even went, he was he even entertained veterans in hospitals, man. Come on. Eric's still trying. <laughs> Maybe if he was a little better at being a military dog, some of those veterans wouldn't have been in that hospital. Come on, man. <laughs> Think what who gives a who gives Smokey the Yorkie Doodle Dandy? That's a great name, man. Oh, that's not a you that right there. Yeah. Out. You, you might have had like a quarter of a vote until you said that. All right. How about four <laughs> pounds of courage? No. Fuck. Courage. <laughs> it was, that thing was sitting in his own piss every air raid. What are you talking about? Three pounds, two ounces of try. Man, you guys just don't see the big picture, obviously. <laughs> Not like it was running from barrack to barrack going, bark, 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 air raid's coming. Bark, 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 get, take cover. That I gotta was go. stubby. That was stubby, though. That was stubby, baby. He was running them up. like, gas oh, okay, is well, coming, dudes. Get down. There's no false alarms with stubby. No. None. <laughs> Guaranteed there was a false alarm or two with, <laughs> with Smokey. No. No. Now you can't be look, there's a bronze life size sculpture of Smokey. Your dog's got there's one is there, it's not bronze, but there's Stubby's uh he's Georgetown's mascot. Yeah. That don't mean there's a statue. I'll guarantee there's a statue here. Yeah. There's a statue of Stubby. <laughs> All right, that's your next that's your next field trip is to find Stubby statues. <laughs> Stubby statues. <laughs> All right. Take that. Take the picture. I may, right next I may to have you. lost this week's freaking outstanding dog. Of all the yeah. dogs, you chose Smokey. I, told I like you. your effort, though. Yeah, I was going with the other dog. Different. You, you were committed. That's true. You were committed. Yeah. You believed. I was working in that outside dog. of the box. Oh yeah, you were working in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> the world's first service dog. Yeah, very good. <laughs> All right. So now right, you're fully uh, out, Eric. Yeah, Eric, you're 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 deciding vote. So I probably just I I probably just screwed Star Sergeant Stubby's chances. But I rely on you, veteran of many yeah. wars, to be objective. <laughs> and now with you're the evidence with the evidence presented in front of you. All right. Don't well, based... vote on a motion. Okay. No, I won't. I, I'm not that. I'm not that. 
and your hatred of my criticism. I, Do I'm not, not that. let that sully your decision. I can take it with a grain of salt. So here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Cairo was a more modern, yeah. more trained animal to do the things that he did, which are highly, highly impressive. Yeah, that's true. Stubby, on the other hand, was an anomaly. He's just a patriot. They trained him on the go <laughs> to do the things that he did. It wasn't like he was sent to MWD school prior to being put into the field. Yeah. Didn't need it. <laughs> he had it. He had it in his heart. Yeah. Probably so, he probably told him how to establish one. Did have it in his heart. Just yeah. not to go and randomly massacre children. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's Although, pretty badass. That's pretty badass. Yeah, he just wasn't mangling everybody he came upon. Yeah. yeah. Now, granted, Jake, your dog was impressive, but I got to go with with Dubby because he wasn't trained. It was it was all done in the field. Yeah, That's out of his big red, white, and blue heart. Yeah. Or whoever stumbled upon him. <laughs> if we had if we had same time frame dogs, I'm sure Cairo would have been the winner. Yeah. Marty, how did they come about Stubby? Did it tell us like origin story? Or they like found him. They just <laughs> randomly found. So that's one thing that I, I discussed with you earlier is that uh okay, good call, Marty. You won, but I'm gonna steal your victory with another <laughs> conversation. Whoop de do next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about that program where oh yeah, yeah dogs were yeah. basically all the in World War II, there was an initiative during um they needed dogs to guard bases and do anything. There was kind of a shortage of military dogs. So they reached out to the u.s population and said basically donate your dog to the military for the period of the war and then we'll basically decompress them and untrain them and send them back to you after the war now one thing i was um, going to ask you about this was it were they uh was this just to be the dogs to be used within the states no it was oh, shit, really. You you gave and I gotta find it right Jake, now. Were they compensated for giving the dog? No, it was a goodness of your own heart. Donate oh. your dog to the military, and it was a program. They didn't. They were just saying, "Hey, we're short on military working dogs, and this is what we need." And That's so, it was that that was that one dog chips that I was talking about. It was a World War II dog. Um, it's the Dogs for Defense yeah, program. Yeah, chips. Yeah, chips. A husky, yeah. husky collie yeah. shepherd. What? Yeah, basically mutt of medium yeah. size. You know, which hey, I mean, clearly he was started stubby. out as a pet, but his owner gave him to the military as part of the Dogs for Defense program. Yep, God, that's nuts, man. And it, and I was I was joking with Marty earlier today. Like, can you imagine the dogs that we would get now? And 
And how reluctant would you be? Could you imagine a call from the U.S. military saying, hey, we need no. whipping dogs in Ukraine right now. That's the one thing they need. Yeah. And and they need working dogs. So anybody has any kind of working dog, please donate it to the military. It wouldn't happen. Oh, man, you get like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it would be a very... I, you get <laughs> bulldogs and freaking labradoodles. <laughs> you know, get off my Yorkie. Freaking snorting and, and farting and hypoallergenic. So, <laughs> guys, have you have you seen the? Um, it's a breed that the Air Force uh, MWD program was considering. It, it's called a Cano Corsair. Whoa! No. You, Google that sometime. I don't it's even called, know how to spell that. Oh, the cane cane corso. Yeah, it looks like a. Oh, those, yeah, those things are not Those are big. Those are big dogs. Um, really? Mitch had one of those dogs. It, it was so aggressive they couldn't control it even through training. So yeah. it was uh, it was turned down to become an MWD. Okay, so for reference. Male is 99 to 110 pounds, and female is 88 to 99 pounds, and they stand 28 inches at the shoulders or 26 inches at the shoulders. They are big, big dogs. They look like a pissed-off Rottweiler, man. Oh, yeah. Ears are pointing. But it takes a what's a it, it's a long program for a MWD, right? Oh yeah, it's yeah. like a year. Is it like a year? I know, I know for service dogs, which is different because they got to perform a lot more tasks and stuff, and they're and they're designed for the person they're going to, right? So somebody disabled doesn't. It's just not one size fits all with service dogs, you know, like Smokey. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Six months three years. I know I'm not. I'm not even paying attention. <laughs> what did you say? How many years? How many years? Training a military working dog is an extensive process. Process that typically lasts six months to three years. Oh man! Oh, geez. military That's working amazing. dogs are specially trained canines that provide protection, support, and comfort to our troops, like Smokey. No. Oh, look at that. Like Smokey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm calling NDEP. Uh, and on behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Gentlemen, thanks for the week. I'll see you next week. Good time, fellas. Good night. Night, guys. Have a good time. Eric, good job on your field research. I'm sorry it didn't work out just the way you planned. But uh, I'm really glad you got way more experience docking <laughs> while you're out on the field. With no chafing. Well, no chafing. Well, that's a plus. That's, that's, that's a positive. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.